Welcome to B2B Impact by BDB. Join me, Matt Smith, CEO of BDB, and Oliver Brewood, BDB's Head of Digital and Technology, as we get together to discuss the myriad of trends, topics, opportunities, and developments in the world of B2B marketing and communications. Our aim is to arm you with content, opinions, and insights that deliver lasting and meaningful impact across the B2B community, helping the global businesses and brands we partner with navigate their way through the information and communication revolution. Are you ready to make an impact? Hi everybody and welcome to B2B Impact. On this week we're going to be spending some time discussing what various phrases at the minute, I guess from the great resignation to talent wars and the, the post-pandemic, I guess, employment market. Um, obviously myself and Ollie might struggle from a candidate perspective, but we're, we're seeing it a lot with our own business um, and we're certainly seeing some troubles cross-market, cross-sector, cross-industry, mm -hmm. uh, way beyond just the world of B2B marketing. Um, but we're not suffering alone, I guess, in this space at the minute and um, processing and adapting to the, the new demands of the, uh, the post-pandemic multi-generational workforces that we, that we work with. So The landscape's changed a lot in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Which has, has shaken things up a lot for us, usually, for everybody. Usually, and I think, there's, I think there's a whole variety of reasons behind that. Um, one of them being the, the changing generational needs and wants of the generations from I heard somebody the other day say you know, that the old millennials were just motivated by like a brand new t-shirt and, and a free lunch and a free beer on a Friday and that just made me laugh because I mean, that's what PwC rinsed with us for years <laughs> obviously when we worked for them that was pretty much the sell really. Um, it's nice to have perks but there's only so far they can go with that sort of thing. Yeah I just think it's old old hat now and it's, it's not, it doesn't cut it that kind of thing so the days of having you know uh, it's jokes about marketing agencies a lot, isn't it? But the, the ping pong table or the pool table, I can see ours there. Yeah. Uh, which isn't lost on me. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's a nice to have, but it's certainly not a differentiator or something. That's it's also how much are those sort of things used as well. Because I think yeah. I, I always remember, I was, I was probably going back 10 years now, I remember I was being interviewed by a, by a marketing agency. And I walked around their office and they were like, oh, we've got Xboxes set up here so you can play games. And we don't expect you to be using them. Yeah. So, well, why, why have you got them then? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's more to that. Hopefully that was an off-the-cuff comment, but as somebody that was like being hopefully somewhat wooed to, to work there, then you sort of go like, well, now my expectation if I start is I'm not allowed to do the fun things. They're just there for show. Sure. <laughs> they were just literally a gimmick to get me in the building. Yeah. I guess for context, when we talk about the great resignation, it's also referred to as the big quit, the great reshuffle, um, and generally is seen as this ongoing economic trend where employees are voluntarily resigning, which I thought was an interesting way of phrasing it on the internet, but en masse, began yeah. in early 2021 when the, the pandemic started to reset slightly. People were coming out the other side of it. Um, and various articles on the internet include a, a whole variety of reasons why people are moving on from wage stagnation, rising costs of living, um, long-lasting jobs dissatisfaction, I think yeah. is an interesting one. I think that the other thing that makes the resignation, great resignation, more of a an issue timing wise and I guess two of them are connected that it immediate, immediately followed the, the year of redundancies mm -hmm. which where obviously a lot of people were being made redundant certainly in certain sectors during the uh, pandemic so I think obviously in the UK we're seeing that a lot with air travel at the minute with loads and loads of uh, flights cancelled because they just don't have the staff airlines and airports made lo lots and lots of people redundant then other people moved on because they're saying hey this isn't a, a very secure uh, sector to be working in and now when things are kicking back to normal, and hopefully they stay this way, 
um, they, they just don't have the staff to handle it. And obviously that's a, a very clear case and it's very easy to see why that's happening. But I think the same thing's effectively happening elsewhere. Mm. It's just not for as obvious a reason. Well, in terms of this awakening, that's, uh, I'll call it an awakening, that's kind of happened for people post-pandemic, and I'm sure you did, I'm sure everybody had kind of had a, a lot of time in their own heads during the, particularly the isolation periods, maybe to reflect on were you happy, were you happy in your job, are you happy in your role? My, my concern at the minute is, I guess, that people may be knee-jerking as a result of that and jumping from the frying pan to the fire, so to speak, without the necessary qualification of the new opportunities on the other side of it. Because I think there's almost this romantic thought that I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do something that I'm really happy and passionate about. Do you think that's happening a lot? I think it, I think it's I think it's being promoted intensely across social media channels and that because kind of I know that's I feel like that's what's being touted as the reason for the great resignation I, I agree with but you. I don't know if that's the truth obviously it's, it's very hard to tell this sort of thing but for me I think I think about it more logically um, which is not to say I'm right but that some people some companies responded to the pandemic possibly wrong or in a way that at least that their employees didn't like so where they were pe- where people mer- were made redundant or maybe the, the company cut days or salaries or, mm-hmm. or put things on hold or in other cases, just, you know, I know of other companies that just didn't communicate very well what they were doing or why they were doing it. So you're sitting there on the outside going like, well, I don't like this company anymore. Yeah. So I think that all the things I just mentioned are reasons why post-pandemic when things do start moving again and people are, and the job market's kind of sped back up a little bit, why you would go like, well, why will I continue to work for this place? Because I didn't like what, what our leadership team did. But I think a lot of businesses are also struggling, the ones who did handle it well, or were perceived to have handled it well and did the best that they can with with the rapidly changing environment everybody was operating in during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But then people are still returning with more demands. It's, if you, if and it's tough like as well because like, the work landscape's changed. So I know, yeah. like uh, the other, I guess it's the other side of it is it's not only like did you handle it well, but also like what what could I be doing differently now? And I don't yeah. again, I don't know if it's like I actually really love horse riding, so I'd like to go and become a horse riding instructor so much as it is um the, there's companies out there that are willing to pay higher salaries now. Mm-hmm. There's the due to the changing landscape or there's companies of, in out there. That, unpicking that one piece at a time I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. There are companies out there that are, are willing and having to pay ridiculously higher salaries mm-hmm. because their business brand wider infrastructure, wider offering doesn't necessarily allow them to appeal to candidates. So I can think of one particular business in the UK here who have notoriously always paid higher salaries because they're not very nice to work for. Mm-hmm. So to attract candidates, they have to pay higher salaries. But that goes completely against if you're moving purely on a salary for salary basis, are you looking for this Nirvana work-life balance, blah, 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 or are you moving for a 5K, 10K pay rise? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, it'll be... It'll contradict itself all the way through the argument here, but and it obviously depends on the candidate, it depends on the team and the employer. But I agree with you, it's not necessarily this kind of widespread argument that um, people are moving for this this uh, different type of role. As you say, I think remuneration is an aspect to it without doubt. Cost of living, definitely, is going up for everybody at the minute. How are employers reacting to that? Um, in our industry alone, in, in, in the Marcom side of things, salaries have gone crazy. Um, is, is one thing to say and that, that's not just in our industry but from first hand experience they are moving rapidly overnight certainly that I think the example I've seen I don't know how widespread this is but things like sales as well mm. increasing massively yep. um, to the point where 
and this is a conversation that we've had a few times and I, I don't know the answer potentially there's people out there that do have a better idea than me but what's what's going to happen where, where people have had a crazy salary increase mm -hmm. if i've had a 30 percent increase in a role kind of that's happened during the pandemic am i now going to be stuck in that role because mm -hmm. i'm kind of being overpaid for what i'm doing and, and therefore you know I'll, i won't really be able to move to other companies because there'll be a, a rebalancing or is it is that kind of have we just shifted the bar so that salaries for that type of role are forever going to be higher in which case obviously there's there's a, a longer term the reality the reality is they can't keep going up they've got to cap out at some point like a, like any market because there's only it's so unsustainable much that can be passed on to the end yeah. user so and the way we're going economically i think globally it's it's not you know i keep hearing that recessions are touted for later in the year yeah, or coming up but at the some pinch point. point on businesses and as costs go up obviously yeah. the costs are going up like you say for cost of living for everybody costs of running a business are going up um supply chains are falling apart mm -hmm. so yeah economically i think it's going to be a tough spot later in the year so 100 percent. where do you, where do you, how much of an aspect do you think it depends on kind of the hybrid working arrangements going forward because i think that's a big a big factor that i've seen companies um fall foul of at the minute in yeah. the post pandemic era because and you, and you yourself were at a conference with multi-agencies so there was 20 30 agencies when they're discussing with you their tactics and there, there was quite a, a wide variety wasn't yeah there, i guess in terms of i think most most companies uh or agencies that were there were, were saying what i feel like is the 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 broad thing at least i'm seeing at the moment which is hybrid working mm -hmm. so two three days a week in the office i think that number varies we're currently saying two days a week in the office that balance currently seems to be working for our for our team yeah. and for getting what we need to get done uh obviously some things are easy to do in person yeah. um some companies saying three i think either's probably fine one particular company was a bit more in favor of everybody in the office and i fully understand where they're coming from because i've had those conversations with team members um where you have been in the office and it sparked a level of creativity and collaboration that's very hard to get yeah. um, without actually being physically located together. I think the, the one thing I'd say counter to that is that I think you, we're speaking to that particular company, I'd say that it's not always obvious how hard people are trying to find a solution to the problem. It's very easy that there's a problem. So for example, you and me working on something, if we're sat next to each other all working on it and I've got a random thought in, into my head, I can bounce that idea off you, yeah. spark a response, harder to coordinate on teams. doesn't mean it's impossible. No, no. It's just not as, as obvious. And I think sometimes when I hear people saying like, oh, it doesn't work being fully remote, it feels to me like they're not trying. No, but I think that's, all, that's also when there's personal agenda or bias built into it with a lot Pot of employees. Potentially. Because... Um, even amongst my peers, friends, network, it was interesting early doors coming out of the pandemic to see certain people really championing culture only survives in the office because they owned the office building, yeah. because they got a rental from the business on it. There was other people saying, let's go full flexible, full remote, because they were going to save 80 grand a year on a leased office that they could therefore put in the back yeah. of themselves. And likewise, at, the, at this conference, one of the agencies has gone 100% remote. So that's a, a, an agency based in, in LA in the US. What they were saying is, they're struggling with the talent pool in the LA area specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they felt like they weren't a big enough name to attract, you know, people like somebody like Apple would be able to, and they yeah. could probably just pick who they want from wherever. Um, so they've chosen to go sort of nationwide with the US, which right. is obviously a very big country, not the same as us going nationwide. Sure. Um, so that is a, a fully remote working uh, kind of situation where you might maybe you'll see, you know, that employee that you hired on the opposite coast once a year instead of instead of every. You, you hear day. a lot of excuses of why people won't go fully remote linked to preservation of culture or development of culture 
and I think you know as a as a, a business owner, one of the leaders in the business here, it is a concern that you have because I think one of the things that made our business BDB so special pre-pandemic was the culture, the size of the team was a nice manageable size as well, um, and and it is. I won't say impossible because nothing's impossible, but increasingly challenging yeah. to retain that culture with some people not as visible, not yeah. as present. I think it depends on, uh, and this might be a factor to it, how many of those people aren't remote, yeah. uh, sorry, aren't office-based. Because yeah. I think where we've, um, you know, we've got some freelance developers, for example, that we've worked with. And there's a guy um, that we've worked with for five or six years. He's actually based relatively locally, probably a 45-minute drive away. I don't think I've ever met him in person. <laughs> but I speak to him on the phone like he's one of my best friends yeah, and you yeah. work together very closely. But maybe that would be different if you're talking about every team member as opposed to sort of one in 20 people. Yeah, yeah. But I think, do you think it, do you think it's possible to build and retain a culture with a fully remote team? It's only a personal opinion, isn't it? It's, yeah, I think it's a very tough one. I, I, I've got to say it's possible because I think anything's possible. I think I think definitely, believe it'll be more challenging. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to work a lot harder to, to instill that in people. You'll need to have a level of trust and understanding in terms of output, particularly when you start thinking about new starters and things like that. You know, how do you know if somebody's definitely working? And I, I don't believe we're in this culture of like that person has not responded to my message in five minutes. They're currently sat watching TV. We're but not, we're not, but I think a lot of businesses are. A lot of businesses, a lot of businesses who've embraced the fully remote working also seem to have embraced the tools and technology that allow them to monitor staff a lot closer. So in the sense of more akin to a, a call center in the past or a sales environment, the past of are you online? How many calls have you made? You've missed I think that call. comes down to the type of role, doesn't it? Yeah, um, but I think you see more general businesses moving towards that beyond just your teams thing being green, showing that you're online. Yeah. But I think it, I, I guess for me, if I'm thinking about this, not, not necessarily easily, what you need to be trying to monitor isn't the, the micromanaging level of how many emails are they sending? Is their team's icon green? How responsive are they to my message? But are you happy with the quality and the output and, and the speed of their work? But do you think... Which is obviously harder to, to manage. If you were to canvas people and to answer honestly, do you think anybody would say they're as efficient as at home as they are if they are with the crew? Pre-pandemic, I'll say. I think it comes down to the person. Yeah. I think some people are probably a lot more efficient at home. Yeah. And I also, speaking for myself, there are times I know I'm more efficient at home and there are times when I know I'm much less efficient at home. Yeah. And it's not necessarily being remote. It's about the fact that there are distractions at home. Mm-hmm. If, <laughs> if our house is filled with washing... I guarantee you I'm spending 20 minutes at some point during the day putting away the washing because yeah. it annoys me walking past it and it's a distraction that I won't have in the office because yeah, yeah. I don't like the place being messy. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of uh, task that I don't mean to get sucked into, but I'm going down to grab a coffee and I'm like, oh, this, this stuff's well, that, annoying that me. That also just comes <laughs> to the culture again, though, doesn't it? The culture in the individual and your team members of having that trust in them that, yes, if they're taking 20 minutes here and there throughout the day to do some personal chores that help that helps them in their personal life, that, that at some point you will see the other side of that when 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 work's required to that's what and that's what i've loved about working at least in our agency i feel like there's a a, an awful lot of personal responsibility and accountability that's given to people yeah so you know it doesn't really matter like i I know that that everybody else in the business knows that if for some reason i'm having to nip out to go to an appointment or something like that in the middle of the day it doesn't really matter because i know what i've got to work on there'll be times when i'm working at 1 a.m or there's times i'm up at 6 Mm a.m by and large i'd say you know bdb gets made more than more than good in terms of that yeah. but i think that comes down to 
I, there's no benefit to me if I skive off during the day. No, no, no. But I suppose that comes down to the type of role, type of company. And I, just thinking out loud, I'd say that's possibly easier to manage with a company that's kind of more the size of ours. Yes. I can't yeah. imagine trying to manage that and have that level of trust when you're talking about having thousands of employees or teams of you know tens and twenties of employees even within an individual team but then to an extent flipping the coin the other side i think for a lot of the global businesses and brands that we work with it's business as usual because they're constantly speaking to colleagues like we are to clients in different countries and different territories and i, and I maintain in, in the post-pandemic environment we see more of our clients than we ever have which is Odd because it was a concern that I had at the time. If we, you know, we used to get out in front of clients all the time, um, certainly more regularly than probably what we do at the minute. And we're just starting to come out the other side. We are traveling more, we're back seeing clients face to face, but we've also seen clients face to face on a daily basis on calls, which was yeah. never the case before. So it's quite an interesting. I was trying to think about this the other day, actually. So it's quite a coincidence you brought it up. I can't remember pre pandemic how often I was speaking to clients, but I don't think it was anywhere near as often as now. I feel like no. a client call for, for me, at least, and that's. People might say that's because of the privileged role you're in or something like that. <laughs> I, I feel like I was having like a client call once or twice a week, mm-hmm. whereas uh, you know, doing work with clients now involves very regular check-ins. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more frequent and yeah. quick check-ins uh, and then like quarterly big meetings or whatever it yeah, might yeah. be. But yeah, it does. I feel like the frequency of that has increased a lot. It's just interesting when you actually think about it. Do you think there is a link, because I was reading an article from Forbes on kind of how to win the talent wars and that kind of thing, an article on that the other day. And one of the things they referenced was for a lot of businesses, kind of the diversity, the DNI diversity inclusion agenda is, is becoming more and more to the forefront as well. So making sure you've got balance and representation across your team. Um, and I guess you're not, you're not the old clone army that maybe businesses were in the past, just hiring their own mold, uh, their own mold, if I can speak, sorry, continually. Do you think that, if you are moving further afield in terms of the options of where you can employ people because of the remote working and because of you're not needing to go from the, the, the local pool of talent, so to speak, that you might have done in the past, that will have potential to help the DNI kind of agenda. It certainly does, particularly if you're starting to go abroad. I mean, you're going to get different views, even between like hiring somebody that's in the UK mm-hmm. and, and somebody that's in France, where we're, you're very geographically close. You're yeah. going to get completely different cultures yeah. and different perspectives on things. So, yeah, certainly being able to have more um, weight of your work being done by people that are more further afield, I think has the potential to increase that level of diversity. I think, I think it's a really, really interesting one to watch because as you say, if you're pitching yourself as a global business, even like we do, I think we've always had European and global yeah. natives, if you know I me, mean, working within our business. But I think actually having the opportunity to open that up further again can yeah. only add to that really as an offering. Yeah. With its, com- it, its complexity. Because obviously there's an aspect of, like you say, I think... Um, possibly slightly less so now but certainly when I joined BDB it was you know every other staff member at least was from another country yeah. there's probably less of that now but we still have yeah. a very um, kind of diverse background within the team mm-hmm. but uh, that's only diverse uh, as diverse as it can be within Manchester right yeah. so yeah. if you're recruiting from a local area you are going to be recruiting from more, more limited example like how many French team members are you going to be able to get in in Manchester. And what, uh, how do you think technology is going to play a part in this, obviously, because if you've got more, if you're winning the talent war and you're you're fighting or, or, you know, starting to make some progress against the great resignation, but you're retaining your team members because you're getting things right, because your policies are right around hybrid or remote work, you know, flexibility, I guess, ultimately is what we're saying. You've got your salaries at the right level. You've got your reward and remuneration structure. You're treating people fairly. You're doing everything right. But you've still got 50 team members that aren't in the office on a daily basis 
as technology got to up its game, should businesses be looking at different uses or alternative uses of tech beyond Teams? Because I think that one of the issues you have at the minute is you've got your Teams calls all day long, aren't you? All day long, pretty much is what it feels like at the minute. If you're not in a face-to-face meeting, it's a Teams call. And then if you want to do some kind of social aspects or something with the team in the evenings, the, the, the early days was a Zoom call, a Teams call, again, which nobody wanted to do at the end of it because they were just so fatigued by it all. Yeah. Do you think businesses are going to have to look at alternative more team-based technology or something. I don't know, something, I don't mean Microsoft Teams, I mean more yeah. cultural. So I played around with the idea, are you familiar with Discord? Yes. So you for anybody... For NFTs. Fair enough. So anybody that's not familiar with it, Discord is effectively a, a, a platform that's primarily used amongst uh, gamers. Um, I thought you were going to say geeks. <laughs> geeks too. Um <laughs> So there's a lot of, uh, it's kind of like Slack, but if it also had uh, voice calls and, and video call functionality within it. So you've got your messaging channels that you can participate in all the time. And you can also just jump into like a live channel to, to have a conversation with whoever else is online. So very early doors, I considered like for, for our team internally, yeah. would it be good to have those kind of um, channels set up where you're not jumping on a Teams call, yeah. but you're just saying, okay, Matt's currently in that channel. I've got a question for Matt, so I'm going to jump in there and just ask you a question. Yep. I don't have to dial you up. I'm not saying you're available. It's like you're in there, so I'll, I'll walk up to you almost as if the same manner I would if you were just in a, in a meeting room in the office. Yeah. Then the other part of me was like, oh, that could be very distracting for some people mm-hmm. in terms of like they're, they're currently in the middle of writing something and then you just walk into their room and, and say hello. So that, that's the sort of thing that I think if, if used right, could be useful, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when we talked a minute ago about that quick contact that you lack in um, in it being, it being remote, that sort of technology could help to reintroduce it because mm-hmm. I could jump in a room with you, assuming we're not in a locked room so anybody else can join. Paul, our, our CG uh, guy, could come in and go like, oh, I've got a question for Matt and Ollie that's yeah. related to virtual business. Let me jump into there and, and chat to them about it. So you'd have that ability to bring that into it. So in that aspect, I think it could be different. I suppose the other aspect is just using Teams correctly and, yes. and similar platforms correctly. Yeah. I know I saw a graphic the other day, which is was like, it was um, basically showing uh, useful meetings as a circle inside a much bigger circle of <coughs> all Teams meetings. So uh, do we need to have meetings as often as we do have? Can we make them quicker, more to the point, and so on and so I think forth? because Teams span out of the pandemic more. I mean, even <coughs> businesses like ourselves that were quite early adopters of it, I guess. We're learning as you go, weren't you? And I think everybody's picked up and started using it just like they yeah. did Skype or Skype for business, really. And probably using 10, 20% of the actual functionality you've got within the Office 365 tech stack and Teams. Yeah. So it's, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's much better ways to use it. It's just more of a, I think it'd be interesting, particularly if you've got overseas employees, thinking about the tools and technologies yeah. to make it truly feel And that's inclusive. where Slack was always used. Like you always hear that mentioned, I think in, in media and stuff like that, because Slack was like the preeminent tool, certainly within like Silicon Valley type companies, but like, oh, I'll just Slack our developer to ask about that. So what Slack, was, if you're not familiar that? with it, is effectively, again, these open chat channels. So similar to having, um, you know, teams set up, um, but not like messaging one-on-one, although I did have that, but more for messaging, like you know, might have a channel for a certain subject. So you might have a, a, a channel for a certain team. So if you drop a message in there, then the whole team will pick it up. Obviously you can do that with teams, but that's where it's about the right application of teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we do use it that way, but um, yeah, I don't know if everybody does. And what do, you, what do you think about the importance of employer branding and so on? Because for me at the minute, I think employer, an employer brand is a phrase that's been banded around for a few years which started off with adding a bit more personality to your brand, doing a few more pieces to camera, yeah. the likes of 
the social chains, the Steve Bartlett, the people who were winning in that space. But even now, I think it's moved way past that to be much more authentic. And where and this is where I think there's much more need required for businesses and brands, both B2B and beyond, to really be thinking about their employee value proposition beyond just an employer brand. So beyond the shop window of looking like a cool place to work, as yeah. you've said, those days are it's still, it's still important. I don't think anybody would say you, you don't want to work somewhere that's not a nice place to work or pleasant environment. So I think the key thing these days, especially while, where recruitment is difficult and you want to make sure that those hires um, that you do manage to get last mm-hmm. is, is making sure that your external proposition yeah. and, and visuals and what you see on social and so forth, so forth actually matches yeah. um, what they get when they get in the door. So if, if all your shots on Instagram of the team drinking and playing table tennis or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and then you start and you find out that the room's locked and nobody's allowed in it yeah. and everybody's yeah. got to work 12 hours a day and it's, it's just a sweatshop, you're going to leave in five minutes anyway. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. It needs to be authentic and it needs to have people um, bought into it. Not only the leadership of the company, but also the staff of the company. If, if you're oh, saying we're a great yeah. place to work and nobody believes it's a great place to work, it's not going to be very effective. I also think it's more, I, I, my personal take on it is we've, we've got to be more personalized with it. I don't think there's a one size fits all approach and that's from communications, internal comms that we were discussing earlier outside the podcast to the needs, wants and desires of said individuals, if you know what I mean. And I think that's where there's both risk and reward of being very clear on who you are as a business, what is your culture, what are your values, what do you align with as a business, and for the individual, hopefully being honest in an interview situation of what are are their values, what do they aspire to be, and ultimately do they align? And I think that's much easier said than done. Yeah. But I think that's where the interview processes need to be more robust and more transparent, honest dialogue at interview. Yeah. And a more confident dialogue maybe as well, if this is who we are. And Does I think that that's, well with you? that's probably easier for us to implement than yeah. for the candidate. Yeah. Um, although what I'd say is that, you know, we still have of our 60 team members, I'm sure 40 or 30 at least of them have been involved in interviewing. So there's still that aspect of we need to ensure we're being consistent with what we say, what we do, and how, how people are interviewed, because it's yep. not like four board members that do all the interviews. No. Um, but I suppose from the candidate standpoint, from, from what I've seen in my career so far, is that level of confidence in understanding that an interview is a two-way street. Absolutely. Doesn't, it's harder to do that when you're, when you're earlier on in your career. Because I think you've not built up that confidence yet to be but like... But I also don't think there's many businesses and brands that would interview like that. Hmm. There's still a lot of people going a competency-based approach to an interview... Give me an example of when you've done X. Yeah. Give me an example of when you've done Y. And it's not, it's, I, 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 genuinely, I see an interview now, as, I've seen it for several years here, but more as a two-way dialogue where hopefully there's some alignment between what the candidate's looking for, what you can offer, and, and, the, and the values you hold each other accountable to. Yeah. But I think it'll be interesting to see that. And I think some of the, um, some of the businesses that will win in the kind of fight for the talent at the minute, we'll get that process correct. And then, as you say, authentically support it on the other side of it, beyond it just being false promises that are made at the interview stage. Yeah, because I think it's, it's very easy at the minute to fall into that trap as a, as a candidate of just sort of saying yes to anything. Mm-hmm. And then if you do get offered the job, is it really one you're going to want and you're going to excel at? Or do you, you know, do you owe it to yourself really to, to ask the right questions to make sure it's really a company you want to work for? It's really the right type of role for you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just going to end up leaving the job after six 
12 months if you pass your probation anyway. And it's just kind of wasting your time, their time. Yeah. And what, one of the things that's referenced a lot at the minute is kind of this concept of employers, businesses, brands, whatever level you want to look at it at, having empathy with their team. It's a word that's been used a lot during, in and around the pandemic. How, as a big question, maybe, but how do you, how, what's your take on that in terms of, you can be empathetic and understanding for team members and so on, but everybody has different circumstances, different problems, different issues, um, mental health's on the rise, clearly, both awareness and um, mental health related matters that need to be addressed in, properly within work. Um, how, how do businesses and brands, one, evidence their empathy towards team members and be seen to take tangible action and progress against it? Is it a, a big question, but... It, it's a big question and not a straightforward question to ask, I suppose. Because um, there's there's two aspects to it, I suppose, aren't there? Two sides to that. It's, it's one, having empathy for whatever's going on, mm-hmm. but also there's a job that needs to be done. Yeah. But I'm 100% behind the fact you do need to support your team members help them through whatever they're going through whether it's personal problems professional problems there's no concept to me of you can just come into work and whatever happened you know if you had an argument with your other half this morning of somebody in your life sick or whatever it might be you can't switch that off because you're still a person and that I mean it's easier for some to switch it off than others and I'd say I'm probably in the easier campus I'm slightly less (laughs) emotional and more cut off to my emotions anyway, <laughs> to be transparent. Um, but, you know, for some people, that's really hard to distance themselves. Um, yeah. And people are all human. So I think you have to be understanding to, to an extent and trying to support people through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's one of the ones where, if you think about the likes of Google and, and the way they've approached things with their, with their team members, they try and take a lot of your problems off your plate mm-hmm. so that when you're at work, you can be focused on it. So even things like doing your washing for you. I don't know if that's a widespread thing, but I know for at least you know, a few years ago, the campus in um, California basically did your washing for you and stuff like that. And it just meant that it's, it's one less burden on your plate to think about you have to do. You nice. can be more focused on your work. Eating healthy, but not on, as hard because the food on, provided on for you, that, that kind of stuff. On that point, because this is where you get called out as an employer, I think. So I'm doing your washing for you. Is that because I expect you to do more work or I think you're doing your washing when you should be working at home? Because this is where you get from the team members path to the side where you try to offer something that you genuinely think is of use and of benefit and of help to somebody. But then you get called out on it of being like not, not genuine and not authentic in your work because really yeah. you're just trying to get them to do more work, aren't you? And you're like, well... No, <laughs> quite often it's the case. Because I was trying to think, this for me connects to, to salaries as well. Because I guess it depends what point you are in your life. But what if you think about motivation, are you motivated by a higher salary? If you quadrupled my salary today, I don't think I'd work harder. Yeah. And that isn't to say <laughs> I'm lazy or anything like that. There's an extent to which I'm already willing to commit of, of my life to work. I don't think timesing that by four... I'll, I'll work four times harder. I mean, I might promise I will. <laughs> no, but I think you hear, a lot, you hear an awful lot of podcasts. I think the, I think the, the, the salary level that's, that's mentioned across the board, and there'll probably be a Google article, don't know I'm sure we can find, um, it's something like $77,000 or pound. I can't remember which country they were quoting it, to be honest with you. But it was say, which is obviously a large salary for a lot of people. Um, but once you hit that threshold... You've got everything you could want. You've got your, you've got a house, you've got a car, yeah. you're going on holidays, 
you can afford to live well. Which I think that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So I think the motivation for me with salary is, has probably been in my life much more about taking the stress away yeah. of like, if I went back like five, 10 years where it's more like, how do I pay my credit card bill at the end of this month? Yeah. Or I ate out last week, I really shouldn't have, I couldn't afford it. And having that as a constant stress has to detract from from my me as a person, both in work and in, in your personal life. So yeah. I think when we start thinking about like motivation, then I think I think that's the kind of approach I take with it. If it's more about trying to remove that that stress from people, so that they can be better people, both in their personal life and in the work life. And I'd say, obviously, there's uh, I'm not saying we go out and do this, but I'd say the same sort of things applies to things like having your washing done for you or providing food for for staff and things like that. It's, yeah, yeah. it's more about trying to lessen the burden that's on them. Because mm. I think for me, I've always found time to be my most precious resource. No, absolutely, and I think I think. Yeah, I think as you get older, you realise that more. I think you, you, your aspirations change as you mature and grow and, and age, ultimately. But in the sense of, yeah, I think when you're younger, particularly when I first started, you were chasing money, or I was. I think that was that was the kind of the way it was approached at PwC in a way. It was get your training done, earn as much as you could, get the biggest bonuses you could with working on the right job with the right team. And then as you mature, I think you realise that you could keep selling your soul to the devil over and over again and doing 80-hour weeks and working every weekend. Um, and ultimately, as you say, t- time time is what time is what is precious. And I think the more you can give a better work life balance to your team, alongside an on market, let's call it an on market remuneration structure, um, I think I think that's the way it will ultimately move. And particularly with the younger generations now, with the uh, the tail end of the millennials and the and the Gen Z Gen Zs, they talk of wanting more work-life balance more freedom more autonomy more flexibility they also want loads of money but i think it's in that order a bit more now is what you'd see it a bit more on but you certainly can't be off market with your salary yeah you can't say i've got a great culture but i pay peanuts yeah which we see, you see from various businesses still to this which day. is certainly not where well, certainly not my aspirations i know there are companies out there will be like well, let's just see what we can get for, from people because if they quit, we'll just hire somebody else at that same salary and they'll just keep cycling well, through I, people. I, I but that's... Then it depends, as you say, it depends on your sector, it depends on your business, but yeah, you pay peanuts, you get monkey, so to speak. Yeah. So I think that's the... Just, so I used to work for a hotel just, chain and I certainly think that's that's what was happening there. And it depends on it, because if, if, if they can, if that if it's, if it's a churn environment where somebody can come in and do a job, but certainly in what we do, they can't. Yeah. You want people to have a career with you, you want people to get under the skin of flying. And I'd say when you, from any of our clients as well, if you think about the onboarding time that it takes for, for any of our clients that are in like scientific sectors or technical sectors, I think this applies to every single one of our clients, it takes a while to get to understand their businesses. Absolutely. Not a single one of them has a straightforward proposition where you can just start and be like, oh yeah, I get what you're selling and who you're selling it to and why. That It requires weeks or years of ed- weeks months or even years of education to to get that un- get that understanding of what the company is about who they're trying to sell to why they're trying to sell yeah it's it's definitely better to retain those sort of people than, than churn through them well also if you if you focus as much if business is focused as much and this is something that we you know we've really tried with here and we're continuing to to work as hard as we can with genuinely if you focused as hard on retaining your good team members as you do on recruitment. So more retain than attract. All the time and effort you put into recruitment and the money. You know, these businesses spend hundreds, upwards of hundreds of thousands of pounds a year on recruitment. If you invested that same money in nurturing and retaining your team, would you be better or worse off? Obviously the growth dependent, if you need more people, that's different. But I I think that's where a lot of businesses can again fall foul of 
distractions that have been distracted by searching for new talent all the time and then your star walks off in, over in the corner and over it's, there. It's so uh, time intensive to yeah. recruit for people. I mean, it, I, th- I think it's easy for me and I've, uh, to say I've often uh, underestimated how time consuming it is to recruit. But by the time you've put together a job spec, you're, or, you've probably already wasted hours thinking yeah. about that and going around in circles on it. But then you you start interviewing and yeah. you're talking two three rounds for for a more senior position. Each yeah. one of them taking let's say an hour of your time. Well, and then then discussions afterwards and, back and, and forth and counter offers and all the rest. You're of it, probably sinking so. one or two weeks worth of time into every hire as, yeah. a, as a random guess. No, no, but completely completely realistic. And I also think another debate that we uh, have internally here quite often. Oh, I've tried to champion with our own team is would you would you pay a higher salary to one so like say you lose somebody on a 30k salary i'm just picking literally picking numbers out of the area no particular role in mind or anything you lose somebody on a 30k salary then to replace them you've got to pay a 20 percent recruitment fee unless you've got your own in-house recruiter so you're paying six grand to re-recruit somebody who probably wants 40k in the current market so you've got a 46k higher why weren't you paying your existing person 40k say just for the sake of it yeah and I think if that, you've got a justifiable reason, then it's probably the right kind of route. If you if you can't answer that question honestly, then you probably should have just paid that person. Some no, money. and I think that's if you if people just anecdotal advice. If you can have that mentality in the back of your mind and be ahead of the problem, and we're trying our best to, it's very difficult in the current yeah. market. But I've constantly got that in my head of okay, if that if that if, if rehiring that person into the same role, what would you pay from the market value? You should be pay, you should be paying it then because yeah. somebody else will. Because I think I had that situation earlier on in my career um, where I said I was going to leave a role. Um, and when I left, I got a slightly um, cautious approach of like, would you stay for, I think it was about a 40% pay rise. And it was like, nah, I still, I still want to go. I want to do something different. Um, I hated the company. <laughs> um, but then <laughs> you just check out my LinkedIn. They're a hotel chain. Um but uh, effectively, my replacement got 50% more than I was on. So yeah. it's like, again, you, you could have paid me that the whole time, but you, you well, chose well, to save well, it. There's a disconnect there sometimes, though, because like, all these things are case by case and you've got to play it carefully. Where the, you see it the other side sometimes where the candidate thinks or have applied for a job. So let's say they are level one at the minute and they've somehow been offered a level three job. Yeah, without using job titles and so on, and you know, you know that person can't do the level three job. Yeah, like, and that's because they've not got enough miles on the clock, not enough experience, just aren't there yet. Not because they couldn't do it longer term, but they're just not there yet. How do you, how do you manage that with? Because I think that's another. It looks like you've been defensive almost in a way, but it's the flip side of maybe you don't want to give them the higher salary, but with but with you do want to retain them effectively. Yeah. yeah, I just think that those situations that are going to crop up, you can't retain everybody. It's just yeah. impossible. Somebody will get offered uh, a job that you don't believe they're right for, and whether you're right or wrong, you've got to stand by what you believe in. Mm-hmm. So if if you firmly don't believe they're right for it then you can't give them it. And you'd be, you'd be silly, in my opinion, to start trying to chase and, and uh, over, over-promise things to them. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, again, it's not going to work out. Yeah. They're probably going to end up being uh, given warnings and, and just cause more headaches for people in the future if they can't perform to that higher level. Obviously, it's a bit different if it's something that they could upskill themselves to in a, you know, a couple of months and they're very close to that anyway. But yeah. if, if we think that there's some real distance there between the capabilities of somebody and, and where they would like to be or where they're being offered another job, I think you just have to you know, stand by your guns and not, not cow don't, too much to that pressure. Don't panic. 
the chances are, yeah, they, the world's have counter offers. I think the statistic is most people leave within six months anyway, don't they? So similar to like job applicants, some people ask for salaries that just don't make sense, or at least don't make sense for you. And it may, maybe it just means that they need to find a different company. So yeah. I was looking at uh, CVs the other day, and you had some candidates that had the exact experience that you wanted, um, salary in the right range. Some other people had not quite the right experience that, that we want. Salary expectations were twice as high. Sure. And it's just like, okay, well, that, that candidate's not right for us. I can see that they might get that type of money in a different type of role. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't fit you. I think you just have to stick by your guns and, and be careful not to overpay, certainly if it's not really going to be the right fit in the long run. Yeah, we had, a, we had a graduate the other day apply for a head of digital role, just as an anecdote, so it did make me laugh. Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> shoot, particularly... Shoot the moon, just go, go for yeah. it. Yeah, I think particularly when you get onto things like LinkedIn, you're basically on one-click applies. Yeah. So there is going to be a level of people just chancing it and clicking a button because it doesn't do any harm, but it's, it's then fun for us to have to sift through the, the nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we'll wrap up there for today. Um, hopefully, uh, the listeners, the viewers have got some value out of that conversation. As I say, the whether you call it the great resignation, talent law, um, the fight for talent at the minute, it's certainly a business, uh, sorry, a, a problem affecting most businesses and brands across the world. I think there's a lot you can do to get things right. As we've discussed, there's a lot of things you should be mindful of along the way. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can. I'll, I'll ride the wave out and come out to the side with bigger, better and more capable teams than when we started. So um, thanks very much. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the B2B Impact. Thanks.